0: Welcome to the reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette for January 25th, 2023. I'm your reader, Craig Shives. I'm going to start with a breaking news story from the paper on college men's basketball. Number 12 Iowa State holds on to beat number five Kansas State, 80 to 76. Jaron Holmes matched his season high with 23 points as number twelve Iowa State held on to beat number five Kansas State eighty to seventy six. Jaron Holmes knocked down the layup, absorbed the contact, and stared into the courtside camera en route to a three point play. The Iowa State Seniors first photogenic moment came early in Tuesday's tense eighty to seventy six win over No. Five Kansas State, but the graduate transfer from St. Bonaventure never left the frame. He remained in sharp focus, capping the triumph that catapulted the 12th-ranked Cyclones into a tie atop the conference standings by starring in a pressure-packed climactic close-up at the free-throw line, where he sank two game-sealing shots with one second left. "'I just took a deep breath and thought about me being in the driveway with my little brother,' said Holmes." who scored 18 of his ISU career-high tying 23 points in the second half. That little happy place, nobody's there, just me and him, and it was just like that. I knocked them down when I was younger, and I knocked them down tonight. The Cyclones, 15-4, 6-2 six in the conference, and the Wildcats, 17-3 overall and 6-2 and in the conference, are now tied for first place in the Big 12 with Texas, which beat Oklahoma State at home on Tuesday. ISU head coach T.J. Otzelberger notched his 10th win against a top-25 foe in less than two seasons, and it was the Cyclones' first triumph over a top-5 foe since 2019. On the first page of the paper, The lead story is entitled Governor Signs Private School Tuition Aid Bill. Governor Kim Reynolds signed into law Tuesday a bill that eventually will spend $345 million a year of public money on private schools. Her signature came after the legislature passed the bill in the early morning hours Tuesday following more than eight hours of debate exactly two weeks after it was introduced and in the midst of National School Choice Week. What an amazing day for our children, she exclaimed to a crowd of children, parents, lawmakers, and other supporters gathered in the Iowa Capitol Rotunda. Hours earlier, after the bill cleared the final Senate hurdle at roughly 12.30 a.m., Reynolds celebrated with fellow Republicans just behind the Senate chamber. For the first time, we will fund students instead of a system, a decisive step in ensuring that every child in Iowa can receive the best education possible, Reynolds said in a statement. Parents, not the government, can now choose the education setting best suited to their child, regardless of their income or zip code. With this bill, Iowa has affirmed that educational freedom belongs to all, not just to those who can afford it. The House was considered the final potential stumbling block for the proposal. Despite its Republican majorities, the House failed to pass similar proposals in each of the past two years, but passed the governor's new, much broader proposal by a 55 45 vote on Monday evening. Reynolds made what she calls school choice a top issue of her 2022 reelection campaign, which she won by 17 percentage points. However, this year's proposal is dramatically more expansive than the previous two. It eventually will make nearly $7,600 in state funding available to every K-12 student who attends a private school. <clears throat> there are 33,692 Iowa students enrolled in private schools in the 2022-2023 school year, according to State Education Department. Reynolds' proposal, House File 68, creates taxpayer-funded educational savings accounts in the first year valued at $7,598, the amount the state spends per pupil on public K through 12 education that families could use for private school tuition and other education expenses. The program would be phased in over three years. In the third year, all K-12 through 12 students, including private school students, would be eligible for the funding with no income restrictions. The plan also provides new funding to public districts, estimated at just more than $1,200 per student, for students who live in the district but attend private schools, and it removes some restraints on other state funding to allow schools to spend that money on teacher salaries. Supporters argued the legislation makes attending a private school possible for more students, and taxpayer funding should be used to support any Iowa family who wishes to send their children to a private school. If a current public school isn't working for a child, those parents need to have a choice, Representative John Wills, Republican Spirit Lake and floor manager of the bill in the House said during debate. Only Republicans voted to support the bill, and nine Republicans joined the Democrats in opposition, including Rep. Jane Bloomingdale of Northwood. Applause broke out among House Republicans after the vote. Opponents noted the state is responsible for funding public schools, that state programs already exist to help private school students, and that spending $345 million annually on private schools will put future funding of public schools at risk. Critics also note private schools are not held to the same reporting requirements as public schools and can choose which students to accept and which to reject. Public schools accept all kids. Private schools pick and choose. Representative Jennifer Conforst, leader of the House Democrats from Windsor Heights, said, This is not about school choice. This is about school administrator choice. Democrats derided the program's price tag, saying those funds could better be used to subsidize public college tuition, expand pre-K access, or boost public school funding. Several Democrats raised the contention that private schools are allowed to turn away children with special needs, learning disabilities, or behavioral issues. Public schools are required by law to create individualized education plans, for students with special needs, but private schools are not. Representative Thomas Moore, a Republican from from Griswold and one of the nine House Republicans who voted against the bill, said he voted no because of strong opposition from his constituents. Even though his Southwest Iowa district is strongly Republican, Moore said his constituents were calling on him to vote against the bill. My vote came down to my constituents, he said. I represent them. I don't represent myself, although I was opposed. Moore said he opposed the bill's high price tag and the fact a portion of the taxpayer funding would go to families who could already afford private schools. To me, being a fiscal conservative, to give 33,000 people new money that they have already been spending on their own and don't really need, to me that's money that we could be using for other purposes here at the Capitol, Moore said. In the Senate, the bill later passed the Iowa Senate by a 31-18 vote, with only Republicans supporting the bill and three Republicans joining all Democrats in opposition. Senator Zach Walls, Senate Democratic leader, said the proposal will endanger schools and rural communities. He said just a few students leaving a small school can cause significant financial distress. Walls called the proposal rushed, Reckless and radical. Where is the voice of rural education leaders in this discussion? Walls said during debate, this bill is Robin Hood in reverse. Senator Amy Sinclair, a Republican from Allerton who chairs the Senate Education Committee, insisted the legislation will not harm public schools, urban or rural. She also said the new $345 million annual program will not stress future state budgets. This is not an attack on teachers or public schools. This is not an attack on public education, Sinclair said. This bill is about rights, parental rights, and choice in education. We empower the parents to make the educational choice that best suits their child. Legislators from both parties argued public opinion is on their side. Polling from the Des Moines Register Mediacom Iowa Poll considered the gold standard in Iowa, showed that a majority of Iowans opposed Reynolds' more limited proposal in 2022. There has been no public polling on this year's bill. Democrats, a minority in both chambers, argued Republicans took actions in both chambers to limit debate. In the House, Republicans created a new Education Reform Committee then passed a new rule that said, even though the bill contains new state spending, it is not required to go through the budget committee. In the Senate, Republicans used a debate process rule that effectively barred Democrats from introducing amendments. It is a willful, blatant way of cutting everybody out from perfecting the bill and listening to our constituents who sent us hundreds of emails about what's wrong with it. Senator Bill Dotsler, A Democrat from Waterloo said, Why wouldn't you want to listen to the public? Why wouldn't you want to listen to somebody who might have a good idea? I've been here longer than any other senator in this room, Dotsler said, and I've never seen anything so blatant in all my years. Earlier Monday, the nonpartisan Legislative Services Agency issued its highly anticipated fiscal analysis of Reynolds' proposal, just hours ahead of floor debate on the bill. The agency projects the proposal will cost $345 million annually once fully implemented. The nonpartisan agency's estimate closely aligns with that made earlier by Reynolds' office, which predicted the program would cost $341 million when fully implemented. Also on the front page, an article entitled GOP Bill makes schools post a bond before seeking a bond vote. Iowa school districts would be required to post a 10% down payment on general bond referendums under a proposal from Republican leaders in the Iowa House. Under House File 1, any school district in Iowa would be required to deposit at least 10% of the total cost of the project for which the bonds are to be used. If the the referendum is approved by voters, those funds would have to be used for the project. In Iowa, school bond issues, basically loans that schools take out typically for 10, 15, or 20 years, require a supermajority of 60% of voters in the district to pass. In passing them, voters agree to repay the loan with interest through their property taxes. Rep. Bobby Kaufman, a Republican from Wilton, who leads the Iowa House's Committee on Tax Policy, said the goal of the legislation is to start a conversation on ways to reduce property taxes. The proposal is co-sponsored by Iowa Speaker of the House, Pat Grassley. Kaufman said the proposals are not set in stone, but that any school or local government leaders who have concerns should come to him with alternative proposals. That includes the 10% payment requirement for bonding, Kaufman said. When it comes to some bonding referendums, there have been some bad actors, certainly not all by any stretch, but there certainly have been some bad actors in terms of not necessarily financing within their means, Kaufman said. However, establishing a baseline for how everybody should operate on financing is important. The goal is certainly not to eliminate bonding. The goal is to make sure that it's practical and fiscally responsible, which a lot of schools and cities are already there, Kaufman said. But this is the conversation starter, to say, hey, we're going to have all the rules for everybody laid out so there can't be any bad actors. And the overall goal is to reduce property tax burdens. Senator Dan Dawson, a Republican from Council Bluffs, who leads the Senate's Tax Policy Committee said he is happy House Republicans have proposed something that creates a debate around property tax laws, but he fell short of endorsing the plan. Dawson said Senate Republicans will be proposing their own property tax legislation and that it will take a different approach than House Republicans' proposal. What I really appreciate in the House bill is that we're all talking about big ideas, Dawson said, We're going to take a different track, but at least we're talking about bigger ideas of how to reform the system. Organizations that represent Iowa school boards and school administrators oppose the bill, and specifically the portion that adds the down payment requirement starting July 1. The bill also includes an extensive notification process to voters of an upcoming bond referendum. The School Administrators of Iowa opposes the bill because of what it calls the burdensome expectations it puts on school districts, Executive Director Lisa Remy said. The Iowa Association of School Boards says the proposal would limit the ability for a school district to seek an election to issue bonds. It's likely that districts will not have the ability to designate and deposit 10% in their current funds. To be set aside to be used solely for the project," said Sean Snyder, the school board organization's finance expert. The reason to hold a bond election is to get approval from the voters to pay for the specific proposals. Funds schools could consider using for the 10% down payment include the physical plant and equipment levy, an annual property tax levy that can be used to maintain school buildings, complete site improvements, and purchase school equipment and secure an advanced vision for education is a sales tax for school infrastructure. But Cedar Rapids Schools interim superintendent Art Sathoff said no school can budget for a new elementary or high school with just the SAVE or PPEL bond funds. Bond referendums are necessary to continue making improvements to Iowa schools, he said. <clears throat> The Cedar Rapids Community School District plans a $312 million general bond referendum this fall. Under the GOP proposal, the district would be required to make a $31.2 million down payment before it could ask voters for the rest. Another way districts could fund these projects is wealthy donors, Sadoff said. If you're in line for a $300 million inheritance, we'd you share it with us he joked the third article on the front page is entitled police say shooting that killed two at youth program was targeted investigators say in a charging document that an 18 year old who was involved in an ongoing gang dispute walked into the common area of an iowa alternative education program for at-risk students and fatally shot two teenagers in a premeditated attack. An 18-year-old who police say was involved in, I just read that, um, that's the first paragraph of the article. He fatally shot two teenagers in a premeditated attack, chasing one of them down and shooting him several more times when he tried to run, according to a charging document released Tuesday. Police said the shooting on Monday that also left the founder of the Starts Right Here program with life-threatening injuries was a targeted attack. The founder, 49-year-old William Holmes, underwent surgery and was in serious condition. Police on Tuesday identified those killed as 18-year-old Gianni Dameron and 16-year-old Rashad Carr. Holmes, an activist and rapper, who goes by the stage name Will Keeps, joined a gang as a 13-year-old in Chicago, but moved to Iowa more than two decades ago ago, and dedicated his life to helping young people in need, according to his LinkedIn page. 18-year-old Preston Walls of Des Moines was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of attempted murder, and one count of criminal gang participation. He made a brief court appearance Tuesday with a preliminary hearing scheduled for February 3rd. Walls is jailed on a $1 million bond. The Polk County Public Defender's Office, which will provide his attorney, declined comment. Walls was on supervised release for a weapons charge, and he cut off his ankle monitor 16 minutes before the shooting, police said. There was nothing random about this, Police Sergeant Paul Perizic said. Investigators say in the charging document that Walls had a 9mm semi-automatic handgun with a high-capacity extended magazine concealed on him when he entered a common area of the program. The affidavit said Holmes tried to escort Walls out, but Walls pulled away, drew the gun, and shot the two teenagers several times. The document said one victim tried to flee, but Walls chased him down and shot him multiple more times. The document blacked out the name of the victim, except for the first letter of his last name, C, indicating it was Carr. Holmes was struck by the gunfire. His family said in a statement Tuesday that he has a long recovery ahead and we are deeply appreciative for the care he is receiving. Despite his injuries, Holmes is now more determined than ever to continue with his work with at-risk youth and looks forward to, once again, working hand-in-hand with other community leaders on the mission of Starts Right Here, they wrote. Responding officers saw a suspicious vehicle leaving the area and stopped it. Police said Walls ran but was found hiding in a brush pile with the 9mm handgun next to him. The ammunition magazine, which has a capacity of 31 rounds, contained three, police said. According to the affidavit, the shooting was captured on surveillance video, and Wall's clothing and his Glock firearm matched those seen on the video. The Starts Right Here Board of Directors said in a statement that classes were canceled for the remainder of the week and that grief counselors will be available. The program, which began in 2021, helps at-risk youth in grades 9 through 12, and is affiliated with the Des Moines School District. These actions are contrary to all that we stand for and point out more must be done, the board said. These two students had hope and a future that will never be realized. Dameron's father, Gary Dameron, 37, said his son was on a track to graduate this spring. He planned to attend Barber College and become a barber, just like his dad. Gary Dameron said he has known Holmes for years and reached out to him personally to get his son enrolled and starts right here. Despite the police claim that the shooting was gang-related, he said his son was not involved in a gang, describing him as a family-oriented with a goofy sense of humor. He just had one of those personalities that when he came in the room, everybody kind of gravitated to him, Gary Dameron said. Gianni Damron turned 18 on Friday, his father said. Dameron said his son and Carr were best friends. He described Carr as very respectable and cool and soft-spoken. Last year, Walls was charged with three counts alleging that he knowingly resisted or obstructed a West Des Moines police officer while armed with a firearm and intoxicated, court records show. His attorney in that case, Jake Führerhelm, said that in the incident last May, Walls was part of gathering of young people that police approached. While they were trying to sort out what was happening, Walls, who was 17 at the time, took off. Because he was armed while fleeing from police, he was charged, Firohelm said. Führerhelm said he didn't know whether Walls was part of the school program. Keeps said in his LinkedIn profile, that he was just 15 when he saw a friend die at the hands of a rival gang. A gun pointed at him jammed, and he was beaten but survived. I moved to Des Moines in my 20s and began a new life, focusing on my future and how I wanted to be remembered, Keeps wrote. I wanted to help others to make a change, so they wouldn't have to go through life feeling uncared for, unloved, or in a home that wasn't safe. Starts Right Here website says 70% of the students it serves are members of minority groups, and it has had 28 graduates since it began. The school district said the program send, serves 40 to 50 students at any given time. In local news, an article entitled Nora Springs Woman Receives Suspended Sentence for Sex Abuse. A Nora Springs woman charged with sexual abuse was given a suspended prison sentence Monday in Floyd County District Court. According to court records, 28-year-old Charme Marie Field is accused of having sex with a 14-year-old when she was 22 years old in 2017 and 2018. The 10-year suspended sentence includes five years of probation and completion of recommended sex offender treatment. Another charge, sexual exploitation by a school employee, was dismissed as part of the agreement. The affidavit states the charges stemmed from Field's time as a counselor working at Francis Lauer Youth Services during those years. It states she would pick the boy up near his home in Mason City and drive him to Rudd to have sex. This allegedly happened at two different residences. Field pleaded guilty to third degree sexual abuse in November. In other local news, a Garner man pleads guilty to animal neglect and criminal mischief. A Garner man facing five counts of animal neglect causing the death of six kittens and one count of felony criminal mischief, mischief pleaded guilty to one count of animal neglect and the mischief charge in Hancock County District Court on Tuesday. According to court records, 28-year-old Zachary Davis Thomas Wayland has agreed to plead guilty in exchange for a suspended five-year prison sentence, three years probation, and the dismissal of four of the animal neglect charges. According to the affidavits, Garner police were called to 1170 Seymour Way, Seymour Avenue on July 21 in reference to the kittens. The officer met with the landlord, who is also the landowner, who informed him Wayland and Kelsey Riley Reich were served eviction papers on June 8th. Their last day as tenants was July 11th. When the landlord was subsequently cleaning the trailer, she discovered three dead kittens and three live kittens. The trailer also had holes in the floor and walls that were not there when Wayland and Reich moved in. The estimated damage was between 10000 and $15,000. The kittens that were alive were malnourished and flea-ridden. A veterinarian confirmed the cause of death of the three kittens, who died in the trailer, was malnourishment and neglect. The live kittens all died later under the care of the veterinarian of the malnourishment and neglect. There are no records of Reich being charged with any crimes in this matter. In national and world news, an article entitled, Pence also had classified documents. The former vice president is the latest to disclose sensitive materials at his home. Documents with classified markings were discovered in former president, vice president, Mike Pence's Indiana residence last week, his lawyer said. The latest in a string of recoveries of confidential information from the homes of current and former top US officials. The records which were taken into FBI custody appear to be a small number of documents bearing classified markings that were inadvertently boxed and transported to the personal home of the former vice president at the end of the last administration. Pence's lawyer, Greg Jacob, wrote in a letter to the National Archives shared with the Associated Press, He said Pence was, quote, unaware of the existence of sensitive or classified documents at his personal residence, close quote, until a search last week. The revelation came as the Department of Justice was already investigating the discovery of documents with classification markings in President Joe Biden's home in Delaware and his former Washington office, as well as former President Donald Trump's Florida estate. Democrat Biden has indicated he will seek re-election. Trump is already a declared candidate, and Republican Pence has been exploring a possible 2024 presidential campaign that would put him in direct competition against his former boss. The newest discovery, which was first reported by CNN, thrusts Pence, who previously insisted that he followed stringent protocols regarding classified documents, into the debate over the handling of secret materials by officials who have served in the highest ranks of government. Trump is under criminal investigation after roughly 300 documents with classified markings, including the top secret level, were discovered at Mar-a-Lago. Officials are trying to determine whether Trump or anyone else should be charged with illegal possession of those records or with trying to obstruct the months long criminal investigation. The following are articles in a digest of national and international news. First, U.S. poised to OK tanks for Ukraine. In what would be a reversal, the Biden administration will approve sending M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine, U.S. officials said on Tuesday as international reluctance to send tanks to the battlefront against the russians begins to erode the decision could be announced as soon as wednesday though it could take months or years for the tanks to be delivered u.s officials said the details were being worked out the u.s announcement is expected in coordination with an announcement by germany that it will approve poland's request to transfer german-made leopard 2 tanks to ukraine according to one official. The officials spoke on condition of anonymity. Meanwhile, several senior Ukrainian officials lost their jobs Tuesday in a corruption scandal plaguing President Volodymyr Zelensky's government. Georgia election report stays secret for now. A judge said Tuesday that a final report by a special grand jury that investigated possible illegal interference in the 2020 presidential election in Georgia by then-President Donald Trump and his allies will remain under wraps for now. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney said he was considering whether to release the report after prosecutors urged it be kept secret until they decide whether to file charges, though a coalition of media organizations pressed for its release. He said he would reflect on the party's arguments and reach out with any questions before making a final decision. He anticipated his eventual decision would be appealed. The report is expected to include recommendations for Fulton County District Attorney Franny Willis on possible criminal prosecution. Regarding Google, the Justice Department and eight states sued Google on Tuesday, alleging its dominance in digital advertising through acquisition and making it difficult for advertisers to use competitors' products. Our harms competition as well as consumers and advertisers, including the U.S. government. Ticketmaster. Senators on Tuesday grilled Ticketmaster and questioned whether its dominance in the ticketing industry led to a major breakdown last year when the company's site was overwhelmed by fans, as well as bots that scooped up Taylor Swift concert tickets to sell on secondary sites. Abortion pills. South Dakota Governor Christy Nome said, and the state's Republican Attorney General said Tuesday the state will prosecute pharmacists who dispense abortion inducing pills following a recent Food and Drug Administration rule change that broadens access to the pills. On TikTok, Missouri Republican U.S. Senator Josh Hawley said Tuesday he will introduce a bill to ban the app TikTok in the United States. And on NATO, Finland's foreign minister on Tuesday suggested the country may consider joining NATO without neighbor Sweden if Turkey continues to block their joint bid to enter the military alliance you are listening to the reading of the mason city globe gazette for january 25 2023 on iris the iowa reading information service for the blind now let's turn to today's obituaries evelyn evie levon mellum gore died january 17 2023 in mason city iowa services will be held January 28, at First Lutheran Church in Glenville, Minnesota, at 10 a.m. Evelyn is survived by two sons, Matthew, Dean, wife, Jill, Gore, John, Joseph, wife, Pam, Gore, and seven grandchildren. Evelyn was preceded in death by her husband, Claude, parents, four brothers, and four sisters. Judith Hanson, age 80, of Hampton, died Sunday, January 22, at Liberty Hospital in Liberty, Missouri. Arrangements are being made by Council Woodley Funeral Home. Jean Evelyn Hines, 93, died Monday, January 23, 2023. Arrangements by Hogan Bremer Moore Colonial Chapels. Jason Norris, 43, died Tuesday, January 24, at Mayo Clinic Hospital in Rochester. Arrangements by Ward Van Slyke, Colonial Chapel. Michael B. Porter, 80, of Mason City, died Sunday, January 22, 2022. That must be 2023. Arrangements would be Hogan Bremer Moore, Colonial Chapel. And Carol I. Schaub, 29, of Northwood, died Monday, January 23, 2023, at Mercy One North Iowa Medical Center in Mason City. Arrangements by Connor Colonial Chapel, and Marjorie J. Rikens Steenhart, age 92 of Belmont, died Sunday, January 22 of 2023, at the Rehabilitation Center of Belmont. Arrangements by Ewing Funeral Home. In other news, a survey indicates businesses expect job cuts in 23 amid recession fears. A survey of national economists found more businesses now expect job reductions at their firms and to spend less on expansions for the first time since the pandemic, a sign that the Federal Reserve's push to raise interest rates is doing its job to slow the economy. But the survey shows that business owners are still concerned that the Fed's decision-making couldn't, could push too hard on the economy and potentially put the U.S. into a recession this year. The January survey by the National Association for Business Economics found that its respondents put on average a reading of minus 7 on how much they plan to hire at their firms, down from previous reading of plus 8 in October, when the previous survey was done. However, due to inflation, the survey shows that businesses still expect to pay higher wages for the workers they are keeping. The results of the January 2023 Business Conditions Survey indicate widespread concern about entering a recession this year, said the National Association for Business Economics President, Julia Coronado, in a statement. The Fed has been raising interest rates aggressively in an effort to slow down the U.S. economy without putting it into a recession, known as a soft landing. One sign of inflation easing is the survey's material costs section. Respondents to the survey showed material costs were at a reading of 47, down five points from October, and well below the July reading of 76. More respondents are now expect material costs to fall than rise this year. We have an article entitled, Results Released in Girls' Request for DNA Evidence of Santa. This is from Cumberland, Rhode Island. The Rhode Island Department of Health said it was not able to, quote, definitely confirm or refute the presence of Santa in a young girl's home after she requested to have a partially eaten cookie and a couple of gnawed-on carrot sticks tested for DNA, to see if Santa Claus is real. The department tweeted on Monday that we all agree that something magical may be at play. The department said it found no complete matches to anyone in the combined DNA index system, but said there was a partial match to a 1947 case centered around 34th Street in New York City, referring to the movie Miracle on 34th Street. It said it would need more DNA samples from other known Santa encounters to make a definitive match. The good news is that the lab did find the presence of DNA closely matching Rangifer tarandus, known as reindeer, when testing the carrots, the department said. And one more article entitled Amazon Launches Subscription Prescription Drug Service. Amazon is adding a prescription drug discount program to its growing healthcare business. The retail giant said Tuesday that it will launch RxPass, a subscription service for customers who have Prime memberships. The Amazon said people will pay $5 a month to fill as many prescriptions as they need from a list of about 50 generic medications which are generally cheaper versions of brand-name drugs. The company said the flat fee could cover a list of medications like the antibiotic amoxicillin and the anti-inflammatory drug naproxen. Sildenafil also made the list. It's used to treat erectile dysfunction under the brand name Viagra and also treats a form of high blood pressure. Amazon sells a range of generic drugs through its pharmacy service, Some already cost as little as $1 for a 30-day supply, so the benefit of this new program will vary by customer. The program doesn't use insurance, and people with government-funded Medicaid or Medicare coverage are not eligible. It will be available in 42 states and Washington, D.C. at launch. Any program that gets low-cost generic drugs to more patients is a good thing, said Karen Van Nuys, an economist who studies drug pricing at the university of southern california but she added that she wasn't sure how much of an impact rx pass will have in sports first a look at the high school roundup four west fork girls wrestlers win the north central conference titles Four West Fork wrestlers claimed individual titles at the 2022 North Central Conference Girls' Wrestling Tournament Monday. Tegan Bird, Autumn Stonecipher, Jocelyn Bordwell, and Fernanda Ramirez won the 105, 125, 155, and 190-pound brackets, respectively. Counting their four winners, the Warhawks had eight wrestlers finish inside the top five of their respective weight classes. Clearlake also participated in the event and crowned one solo champion. Emery Hippen reigned victorious in the 140-145 pound division, winning all three of her matches by fall. The Lions had 10 wrestlers finish inside the top five at their respective weights. Emma Alley placed second in the 135-pound bracket. High School Boys Basketball, Newman Catholic 72, Central Springs 51. The Knights continued their pursuit of staying in the top of Iowa Conference title race Monday evening in Manley. Newman Catholic held Central Springs to 19 points in the first half and led by 18. The Knights converted their halftime advantage into a blowout victory. Newman Catholic stifled Central Springs' offensive attack. Junior Carson Grady was the only Panther to score in double figures with 10 points. Central Springs' leading rebounder was senior Jacob Primer, who grabbed five boards on the game. Newman Catholic still trails West Fork in the division standings. The Warhawks are 10-1 in conference play this season, and the Knights are 9-2. North Butler, 56. Northwood Cancet, 35. Poor second and third quarters doomed the Vikings in their matchup with the Bearcats. Northwood Conset led 15-13 at the end of the first quarter. In the second and third periods, however, the Vikings managed three and five points respectively. During that stretch, North Butler built a 15-point lead and did not relinquish it. Northwood Conset shot 28% from the field, going 14 of 50 on field goal attempts. Sophomore Cooper Yulsef was the Vikings' leading scorer and he had 12 points on 5-of-18 shooting. West Hancock 58, North Iowa 53. Efficient shooting pushed the Eagles to victory. West Hancock shot 50% from the floor on 21-of-42 shooting. The Eagles' leading scorer was junior Mitchell Smith, who dropped 16 points and pulled down a team-high 8 rebounds. West Hancock seniors Ryland Barnes and Jackson Johnson also scored 10 points each. In high school girls basketball, Central Springs 57, Newman Catholic 48. The Panthers picked up their ninth overall win of the season against the Knights on Monday. Central Springs is now 7-5 in conference play. Paige Prozek led the Panthers with 16 points, while Casey Crum had 13 points, 12 rebounds, and six blocked shots. The Panthers are fifth in the TIC standings, trailing West Fork, Osage, Northwood Kensett, and St. Ansgar. The Knights are in sixth place in the league with a 6-9 overall and 5-7 conference record. Northwood Kensett 41 over North Butler 23. The Vikings moved into third place in the TIC standings with their win over the Bearcats. Northwood Consett is now 8-8 overall and 8-4 in league play. Chloe Costello led the Vikings with 13 points. Madeline Hansen had seven points, five rebounds, and three steals. Northwood Consett led North Butler 13-12 at halftime, but the Vikings offense flipped a switch in the second half, outscoring the Bearcats 28-11. Riceville, 62. Charles City, 23. The Wildcats extended their winning streak to 16 on Monday evening in Charles City. Riceville is 17-1 on the season and sits atop the Iowa Star Conference, standings with a 9-0 league record. Riceville held Charles City to single figures in all four quarters of the game. The Wildcats also scored 14 points or more in every period. The Wildcats haven't lost since December 1, when they dropped a road matchup with Osage Green Devils 40-37. to West Hancock 46, North Iowa 38. The Eagles turned a halftime deficit into an 8-point win Monday. West Hancock trailed 22-18 at the break. The Eagles came alive in the second half, holding the Bison to 4 points in the 3rd quarter. West Hancock ultimately outscored North Iowa 28-16 in the second half to secure a victory. In Boys Swimming, the River Hawks fall to the Tigers. Mason City led midway through its duel with Spencer Monday at the John Adams Pool before the Tigers rallied to win 51-43. The River Hawks won four individual events and one relay anders bookmeyer claimed victories in the 200 individual medley in two minutes 24.9 seconds he also captured the 500 free in five minutes 36.55 seconds mason labby won the 200 free in two minutes 13.94 seconds and michael johnson won the 100 fly in one minute 6.27 seconds bookmeyer johnson labby and daniel schwarz combined to win the final event of the evening the 400 free in three minutes 54.27 seconds the riverhawks had 28 season bests. mason city is next in action at a state qualifying meet in ames on february 4 at noon in women's college basketball an article entitled miss durability the cyclones ryan is averaging nearly 35 and a half minutes a game. Iowa State head coach Bill Fennelly has thought about locking her out, maybe turning the lights out or taking the basketballs away, anything to keep standout point guard Emily Ryan from virtually living in the Zucup basketball complex. We're going to have to come up with something, Fennelly joked, but he can't bring himself to do it. Ryan's the most durable player for the number 18 Cyclones, 13-4 and four overall, 5-2 and two in the conference. She ranks ninth nationally among Power Six programs and first in the Big 12 in minutes played per game at 35.28. And she'll almost certainly be on the floor every second she's needed in Wednesday's 6.30 p.m. matchup with TCU in Fort Worth. Every coach dreams of a kid like that, Fennelly said of Ryan, who has played every minute of a game 14 times in the past two seasons. I'm a huge Purdue men's head coach Matt Painter fan, and I heard him quote something the other day. I saw it the other day, but it's like too many players value their worth with their jump shot. And that's not what Emily Ryan's about. She is a kid that wants to win the game. Regardless of points scored or minutes played, That's why she's a fixture in the practice gym. Getting better means putting in the work, and Ryan's tireless efforts have paid off. It's just something that I've always enjoyed, said Ryan, who's averaging 11.3 points, 6.9 assists, and 5.3 rebounds per game. It's somewhere we always have success, too. So it's somewhere you can be. But I just try to be in the gym as much as possible, just to put myself on a position to make the team in as many ways as possible, to help the team in as many ways as possible. It's hard to count those ways, but scoring seems to be near the bottom of her list. Facilitating sits at the top, and Ryan's 6.9 assists per game average ranks 10th nationally. I don't know if I've ever had anyone like her, and I don't know that we ever will, Finley said, I mean, she doesn't care about the stats. The only stat she cares about is turnovers, because that's where she feels she let people down. The other stuff, it's what do you want me to do, and when do you want me to do it, and what am I doing every single play to make the other four people do their job better. It's a unique thing, and we're just really lucky to have her. Ryan's one of ISU's so-called Big Three, which includes all-time leading scorer Ashley Jones and reigning Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, Lexi Donarski. They form the pillar the Cyclones lean heavily on, and each one of them logs an average of 34.3 minutes or more. But Ryan carves out the most court time because she excels in virtually all areas, so she'll never be locked out. Nor dissuaded from entering the gym. That was just a joke, but one that helps illuminate her never ending earnest aim. Whatever the team needs from me and whatever coach asks from me is what I try to give, Ryan said. And now, switching to University of Iowa basketball, an article entitled Clark Triple Double Leads Number 10 Iowa Over Number 2 Ohio State. Kaitlyn Clark scored a game-high 28 points and Monica Shinano added 22 as No. 10 Iowa defeated No. 2 Ohio State 83-72, giving the Buckeyes their first loss of the season. Kaitlyn Clark added another accomplishment to her decorated resume at Iowa. She notched 28 points, 15 assists, and 10 rebounds, and No. 10 Iowa defeated No. 2 Ohio State 83-72 on Monday night. Although Clark is known as a prolific scorer, leading NCAA Division I behind 72 consecutive games in double figures, she was all over the floor against the Buckeyes. And that's the player she aims to be. That's That's just kind of what I pride myself in, being able to do a lot of different things on the basketball court for my team, Clark said. Those are players I grew up watching. Sam Logic that used to play here at the University of Iowa, she was a triple-double queen too. I love people that could score the ball. I love people that could pass the ball. Monica Gennano added 22 points for Iowa. Iowa's 12-point lead almost midway through the third quarter narrowed as slim as three with nine minutes and five seconds left in the fourth. Ohio State's Cody McMahon scored five of her 21 points in the final quarter, but Gennano went three for three in the fourth quarter to help keep the Buckeyes at bay. I think we're together the whole game, Clark said. They went on their runs. We were changing defenses. We weren't able to score there for a little bit in the third quarter. And I thought we really stepped up and showed our maturity and that's what it's going to take, not only in the Big Ten, but when you get into the NCAA tournament. The Hawkeyes kept Ohio State scoreless for more than two and a half minutes in the fourth quarter, allowing Chinano and Iowa to command a 13-point advantage with 3 minutes 11 seconds remaining. Ohio State who's nineteen and one overall, eight and one in the conference, gave one more try and went four of nine from the field in the final three minutes, but the Hawkeyes made all eight attempts at the free throw line to seal the win. They came in just wanting to have that warrior even mentality. They came in just wanting to have that warrior even mentality, and I thought we did that. Iowa coach Lisa Bluter said, "I could just name." person after person. They all did a great job, and I'm really proud of them. This is a big win. Ohio State shot 38%, its worst in five games, and 16% from three-point range, its lowest mark of the season. Taylor Thierry scored 20 points and had nine rebounds. I don't think we were asking anybody to do anything they weren't capable of doing, but we just didn't make a lot of shots, Ohio State coach Kevin McGuff said. If you're not going to beat Iowa the way they were guarding us, you're not going to beat Iowa the way they were guarding us if that was the case. Clark's 28 points, 15 assists, and 10 rebounds helped her become the second Division I male or female to notch a triple double against an AP Top 2 opponent since 1999-2000, joining Dwayne Wade, who did so during the men's NCAA tournament in 2002 2003 it marked the eighth triple double of Clark's career I don't need to score 30 points every night it's the 25 and 10 and 10 that really helps us be super super successful because that means we have multiple people contributing Clark said you're guarding everybody on the floor you're guarding people off the bench and that's the recipe for success if you want to be an NCAA champion. Without McKenna Warnock, who didn't play after starting the first 19 games of the season and is Iowa's third leading scorer, the Hawkeyes relied on others stepping up. Kate Moore contributed 13 points and 11 rebounds. Hannah Stuelke grabbed 13 rebounds and Shinzano went 11 of 13 from the field. Jinano was a perfect 4-of-4 while nearing foul trouble in the second half. Iowa's victory is its highest-ranked win in program history. That one hasn't sunk in yet, Bluter said. These women are so amazing. I'm so proud of them. It'll probably settle in tomorrow, and then we got to get ready for Nebraska. Turnovers remained an issue for the number-two scoring offense in the NCAA, even after the Hawkeyes gave it away a, a season-high 20 times last time out against Michigan State in overtime Wednesday. Iowa had 17 giveaways against Ohio State's press defense, including 11 in the second half. Ohio State, a 19-game season-opening win streak, came to a close. The Buckeyes entered 4-0 against top 25 opponents this season, and the challenge won't slow as their next matchup Will be with a top 10 conference foe one of the things i told them i was like outside of tonight i think for the most part we've handled winning fine now you got to handle losing mcguff said and that does it for today's reading of the mason city globe gazette for january 25 2023 i'm your reader craig shives you can access a recording of today's reading on our website iowaradioreading.org anytime. Thanks for listening.